Yeah. Why don't you turn the person next to you and, to and say, uh, this could be for you. It's definitely not for me, but it could be for you. I, 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 in communion, I've, I, got a, I got a word for someone. I don't know, what it is, don't know who it is, but um, I don't know what it is. I don't know who it is. <laughs> Let me just make one up anyway. No. Uh, you know, Jesus, I, I'm just picturing Jesus carrying the cross up to Calvary. And, uh, and I, just, I, I just felt like someone, Jesus couldn't carry the cross. He couldn't carry the cross had to get someone else to carry it for him. But he could carry the sins of the world for all time. He couldn't carry the cross, but he could carry the sins for all time. I, I, I just felt like someone needed to hear that this morning, that you're carrying a burden that God has not equipped you to carry. So you need someone else to help you with part of your burden so that you can carry what God has asked you to carry. Is that you? So turn the person next to you and say, was that for you? It might have been for me. How good is God? Even his son, you know, I mean, God, God could have given Jesus enough. He could have given him enough strength to carry that cross, couldn't he? But he didn't. Because he wanted Jesus to carry one thing. He wanted him to carry the burdens of the world. He didn't want to carry the burden of a piece of timber. He wanted him to carry the burden of your and my sin for all time so that, so that we could walk free according to what he carried. What are you going to carry for God? What are you carrying that you don't need to be carrying that someone can help you with? Who's the Simon of Cyrene in your life who can help you carry the, the physical burden that you have so then God can anoint you for the spiritual burden that he's called you to carry, that he's equipped you to carry? All right. That was for somebody. How good is God? Why don't you turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Did anyone get the football reference in that last little line? No. The Eagles beat the power last night and uh, praise God it was a goal after the siren. Nothing like crushing a South Australian every now and then. You know, in, in 2012, who, who remembers the Olympics in 2012 when Sally Pearson won the gold medal for the 100-metre 100, 100 hurdles? How good is it when an Australian wins an athletics gold medal? It's very rare, isn't it? It's a, it's a rarity. And when Sally Pearson won that, man, what, what a moment it was. Hey? And then I think of in 2000 when Cathy Freeman won the 400 in Sydney in, the, in that sweet-as um, lycra suit that covered her head and everything. Was, no one's ever worn one since. And... Uh, <laughs> But it was cool, wasn't it? Hey, when you win, who cares what you're wearing? And, uh, but, you know, my, this is one of my favourites. In 1996, there was a guy by the name of Kieran Perkins. Remember, this, remember that guy? He'd previously broken the world record for the 1,500-metre swim in, I think it was Seoul in 92, I think. And uh, he, he came back in, into Atlanta in, in 1996. And, and uh, in 96... He qualified slowest. He just scraped into lane eight. And he nearly pulled out of the race because he, was, he wasn't feeling that well. Uh, but then he didn't. He stayed in the race. And from lane eight, he just said, I'm just going to knock this out of the park. And he did. He was the only person to swim under 15 minutes, won back-to-back gold medals. And Australia, they stood on their feet. 
for that race. Hey, they stood on their feet and they, and they were so proud of, of this, this young Australian. And, and I, I don't know about you, but when, when we sang the national anthem, and you know, wherever you were in your home, do you sing the national anthem when they win gold? It's, it's, it's a cool thing. You only win five gold medals every four years. It's worth singing the anthem with them, trust me. Man, I, I was emotional. Hey, I was so proud of this guy, this, this young Australian who from lane eight, who nearly pulled out the day before, steps in, you know, and from lane eight, no one ever wins anything from lane eight. And he just dominated from the start. It was such a, such a great um, thing. And, and singing the anthem, you know, it's, it, it's, you know I'm, I'm shedding a tear. Australians all let us rejoice. For we are young and free, and by the way, also, we're better than you, everyone else in the world, at this. And uh, let's all take a moment and acknowledge Australia, you know. You know what I love about the Olympics? When, some, when your country wins something, everyone else has to listen to you sing the national anthem. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's not like you're just, at, you know, singing it in your own country with all of Australians. You're singing it in front of the world because your country did something great. And Kieran Perkins knows when he's standing there, he's acknowledging his country because he knows what he achieved that day, he could never have achieved without the help of his home country. Anthems remind us of that, don't they? They remind us that we're part of something. They remind us that, that, that we are unified. Anthems are a symbol of unity. I'm not just Kieran Perkins swimming a race. I am an Australian representing my nation who invested all those taxpayers' dollars into my training schedule and into my nutrition schedule. And now, you know, God gave me some talent and he gave me a nation that will get behind me to go and become the best person I can be so that I can stand up representing my nation and the rest of the world in that moment acknowledges the greatness of Australia. It's the same for us, isn't it? You know, we sang this morning, My Redeemer Lives. My Redeemer lives. You know, it's, a, it's an anthem of our faith. It's an anthem of joy. It's an, you know, the Bible says in Psalms, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord, what? Say so. What? How do we say it? We say it by singing anthems of joy, anthems of faith. You know, we sing, we, we, you know, what an, amazing, what an amazing symbol of unity that is. Every person in this room who calls Christ Lord sang an anthem of joy this morning because we are the redeemed. We're not the, the, we're not the struggling, we're not the has-beens, we're not the, the dying. We are the redeemed. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Remember, we sing healer this morning. When we sing healer this morning, you know, we, 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 it stirs us. You know, Jackie was stirred. You know, Kristen was stirred. You know, Bakara was stirred. And we, and, we, and we took a moment and we said, wow, we... We serve a God that, where nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. He is, you know, he is, he is the great healer. And then, you know, I mean, it, it, doesn't take, it doesn't take two seconds for everyone to recognize that we're singing um, how great is our God, does it? As soon as anyone anywhere on the planet hears, the, hears that line and, and everyone goes, boom, they're straight into it. The band doesn't even need to be there, do they? Because we know how great is our God. 
You just think of it and it takes you to another level. Why? Because it's an anthem of faith. It's an anthem of hope. It's an anthem of surrender. It's an anthem of, of, of God's greatness living out through his people. And then you step into the fact of what's great about Christ is his name is above every other name. Every struggle I've ever had, every sickness in me that's, that's bound me, everything that I'm walking through, the challenges I have in relationships, they all must submit and surrender and bow before the name of Jesus. Because why? Because the song says, His is the name above all names. We need to have some anthems in our life that stir us. I don't, when, I, you know, when we sing the Australian anthem, I'm stirred as an Australian. But when we stand and sing anthems of worship and praise before our King and with our, with our brothers and sisters, you know, I'm reminded that I, Christ didn't die for me. He didn't die for you. He died for us. Anthems unite us around a common cause a common nation a common a commonality in every way and we are citizens of heaven children of the most high god redeemed set free saved because jesus came and died on the cross shed his blood broke his body and we take communion to celebrate that fact every week communion is an anthem of our god it's something he says every time you gather do it I love the Americans. You just got to turn up at anything and they sing the anthem before it. doesn't matter. I went to, a, I went to a, a, a country fair and there was a little race around the track and we all had to stand and say the anthem before this, before this little race. I thought, man, these people, these people, whatever they're doing, they're doing it for their country. Whatever they're doing, whether they're racing a little race at the country fair, whether they're eating a Dagwood dog, whether they're, whether they're thinking about it, they're doing it for their country. And I go... I was challenged, I was stirred that whatever I do, when I move, when I speak, when I, when I courage, am I doing it in the name of the Lord? Is his name the name above all names? We know it is, but have I honoured what is true? So the anthems of our faith are the symbols of our unity with God. I think these anthems of our faith, we don't know who wrote all half of those songs, do we? We, you know, we, 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 we know some of the stories of how some of the, of the anthems of our faith um, you know, were written, but at the end of the day, they're like letters to our current self from our previous self reminding us what makes us us. It's the previous church who sat in these, in these chairs, you know, generations before us and sat in chairs in churches around the world, generations before us. The previous us reminding the current us what makes us us. That's what makes something an anthem. That's why when we sing the Australian anthem, you know, you know let us rejoice for we are young and free. We need to be reminded that we're free every now and then. Hey, we need to be reminded that we're free. Anthems, anthems remind us that we're free. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know, we, are, we need to remind ourselves that we are redeemed. And when we go, we go in his name and for his glory. How good is God? If we're blessed... If we have hope, if we have health, if we find love, if we've got comfort, if we've got any wealth, if we gain wisdom, we need to take a moment and acknowledge the source of all that is good, which is our great God. And then we need to finish it off. You know, we acknowledge God. You know, we acknowledge God. Then we need to finish it off and do it together with our family. How good is it? You know, when you do something great, 
What do you want to do next? You want to tell someone that you love. You want to, you want to, when someone else does something great, you want to celebrate with them, don't you? I love Philippians 2 verse 1 to 4. It says this, it says, If there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort in love, if any fellowship of, of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. You see, you can do something great. Something great can happen to you, but it's, it's not. He's, the apostle Paul's saying, hey, fulfill my joy. Take it to the next level. It's not complete yet. You've experienced something great. It's not complete yet. Use it to bring unity to the faith. Use it to bring hope to someone else's world. Use it to stir someone else's faith. Use it as a testimony to encourage someone else that all things are possible. Don't leave it as a win for you. Make it a win for your whole family. Christ did not come for you. He did not come for me. He came for us. It's very difficult, isn't it, sometimes for us to, to, to get our head beyond ourselves. But here's the thing. God wants us to be a people of abundance. We read in Ephesians 3 that you know, he exceedingly abundantly, ever more, more than we could ever ask or, or think. What's the definition of abundance? The definition of abundance is when no one around me has lack. It's not when I have everything, it's when no one around me has lack. We need to understand that, uh, that, that these, these anthems, they're never good sung alone, are they? When you sing, you know, how great is our God in the shower, it's not that great, is it? God's still great, but the anthem's not great, is it? You know, maybe when Rachel sings it in the shower, it's all right. But when, tell you, when I sing in the shower, it's amazing. You know, I've got this great acoustic glass and everything's beautiful. He's called us to sing together. He's called us to come together. He's called us to do things as a, as a unit. He said, it's, when he was born, he says his name was Emmanuel, God with Caleb, God with Mr. Fuller, God with us. Here's the message. Your life is an anthem of our collective faith. Your life is an anthem of our collective faith. Your life's responses are a reminder to those around you where your source of strength comes from. Your responses to life are a reminder, they are an anthem of, to those around you of where your source is, where, where your strength comes from, where your hope comes from. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we turn to it. Apostle Paul, speaking to people in Corinthians, he's saying, you, you guys are living epistles. You are the le- An epistle is, an, is a letter. So I'll use the word letter just so it's easier to, to get your head around. We, he says, you are letters. You are the letters of the faith. You are letters of Christ. You are, you are our recommendation. Before we read, I'll just let you know a little bit about Corinth. Corinth. Apostle Paul writes two letters to, um, to the church at Corinth. Uh, Corinth. Corinth. If you go there now, it's about a 50,000-person town. Back um, in Apostle Paul's day, it was, there was about 750,000 people there. It was one of the biggest cities in that whole region. There were two ports there. It was bustling. It was, it was, a, it was a busy town. And then up on a cliff, um, depending on what time you went, there was, there, was a, um, there was some sort of statue, and I think it was either Aphrodite or, or Venus, depending on whether you're Greek or Roman, and uh, the, the god of love and... Uh, and anyway, the, um, there was a thousand women who served as temple prostitutes up on that hill. And then they prowled the streets 
of Corinth by night. And there was so much immorality in this city that uh, they coined a saying that when someone was, misbe- well, someone was behaving I- I- immorally, they said, oh, he's doing a Corinthian. He's acting the Corinthian. That's how immoral this whole, that's how this city became known for, for its immorality. So, so the Apostle Paul plants this church, you know, in this pagan, pagan city that was full of immorality. And now the church is growing in the midst of this environment. And his first letter is challenging them to, you know, challenging them on the things of God and in their purity and, and where they're focused. And some of the, some of the, the antics of, that are around them are creeping into the church. And uh, he writes... He writes this letter addressing these problems and pressures of a city that's, uh, where, where a church is planted in that environment. That can't be easy, can it? So then that happens, and then he writes a second letter. And he's thankful to the most of the people who, you know, who were quite repentant after his first letter. But then he's challenging the rebellious ones who didn't learn after the first letter. And uh, so we pick, it up in, um, we pick it up in 2 Corinthians 3. And he starts out by challenging um, their them receiving him as the authority of God, as their apostle. And, uh, so verse 1 says this, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, letters of commendation to you? Or letters of commendation from you? So Paul begins by airing his, his credibility challenge. Have you, ever, have you ever thought, you know, when you want to share the gospel with someone, you don't necessarily feel credible or you don't think that they think you're credible so you don't do it. Instead of talking to someone about God, you might invite them to church because you don't feel like you've got the credibility or the words to share the gospel with them so you need to take them somewhere. Trust me, you're credible. You are a living epistle. You are a living letter of God. Your life is an anthem of God's goodness and people, people cannot necessarily see what's going on uh, um, what's going on in, in your words but they can see what's going on in your life so Paul begins by by airing his credibility challenge he's the founding father of his church and he's struggling to be heard by those people in the church that he founded then he shifts tack and he says the great line one of the great leadership lines of history he says hang on a second we don't need a letter of recommendation to you your lives are our letter of recommendation. Your freedom is a, is, is a letter of recommendation. Your love for one another is a letter of recommendation. Your, your, the peace that you walk around with is a letter of recommendation. You are living letters. You are living epistles. And he said, in verse 2, he says, You are our epistle, our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are a letter of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. You see, God has done business with your heart. And you are now, people, you know, you can try to pretend you're like everyone else when you step out of church, but people can see straight through you. You can try to be cool like everyone else is, but people can see straight through you. They can see God in you. They can, it's written all over you. Once you get saved, you cannot go back to your old ways because you no longer belong. You no longer belong with, the, with, your old, with your old fears, with your old unbelief. You no longer belong around your old stresses because God has he's put in you a spirit of hope, a spirit of power. And he's, he's given you substance and it's written all over your face. And people are saying, I can see it on your face. Why aren't you walking in it? You are the anthems of God in Nusa. Christ in you is the hope. Christ in you is the hope. Think of Kieran Perkins, lane eight. 
lane eight. But he wins. Why? Because he's won before. He knows. He's got hope because he says, hang on, I beat all these jokers before, four years ago. He's saying, I might feel a little bit unwell. I might be in lane eight. But guess what? Lane eight is only a couple of metres from lane four. And I can, if I can win it from lane four, I can win it from lane eight. And I beat all these guys before. I've got hope invested in the fact that there is a previous victory. I can, rem- I can testify to it personally because I've got the gold medal on my shelf at home. And I'm going to charge on. Guess what? Christ has done business with you before. He's set you free before. And sometimes you need to remind yourself of the hope that is in you, which is Christ. So that when you go into the world, when you're praying for the sick, when you're speaking life into someone's into someone you, when you're encouraging whatever you're doing you are delivering a letter from the king of all kings to that person by how you react by how you respond by how you stir people people cannot see hope for themselves people cannot see hope for themselves but they can see your hope they can see your hope you ever tried to explain the gospel to someone And they don't get it. They don't get the gospel, but they see the hope that's in you. They go, how can your your life be so challenged, but you're still full of hope? You're still full of life. That's when we need to get ready to explain the hope. Verse 4 says this, And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. You see, we need to align our trust. We need to align our trust. We need, to, we need to celebrate that God is sufficient. Anthems are great. I love it. You know, we, we win a gold medal. But it's not it's Kieran's song. It's an anthem of our nation. When something great happens to you, you know, it's, it's not Mrs. Fuller's song. Mrs. Fuller sings How Great Is Our God. Because she's singing an anthem of her nation, an anthem of her God. You know, she is a citizen of heaven who gives glory to God because she knows that she may have had a win, but the glory belongs somewhere else. It doesn't belong here, it belongs here. And as we, as we walk according to, to, to his glory, we get to walk according to his strength. If you want the glory, then you can walk in your strength. If you give him the glory, then you can walk in his strength. So we need to align our life to his sufficiency, to his capacity, to his ability to not be offended, to his ability to take a burden, to his ability to do all things. And when we do that, we get to walk in his strength. Verse 6, God also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Everyone in this room is a minister. Everyone in this room is a minister. Not of the law, not of the letter. We're ministers of the covenant. The covenant of God. Here's, here's, let me just read this out for you. The new covenant is the promise that God makes with humanity. That he will forgive sin, restore relationship with those whose hearts are turned toward him. This is what the new covenant is. He died on the cross so that he could forgive your sin and he could restore relationship as soon as you give him your heart. That's the simplicity of it. Jesus Christ is the mediator of it and his death on the cross was the basis of the promise. That's the simplicity of the new covenant. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's, it, it goes deeper and longer and broader, but, but understand the core of it. You're forgiven 
Your relationship is restored because of the cross. When we take those emblems each Sunday, remember, you know, we, we, we remember we're all, we are now ministers of covenant. In other words, we're ministers of reconciliation, the Bible says. Our job is, is not to point out where people are wrong. Our job is to point them to restore their relationship with God. That's the simplicity of our job. That's the simplicity of, of who we've become. Verse 7 says this, talks about the old covenant. It says, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, uh, a.k.a. the Ten Commandments, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of his glory and countenance, then how much more won't the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? There was glory attached. You know, Moses' face shone, didn't it, back then? And the people couldn't look at him because, it, because he, he, he had to have a veil over his eyes, over his face. They couldn't see it. it was How much more glorious is this new covenant? How much more glorious is the ministry of the Spirit? So there was an old covenant. Now there's a new covenant. The old covenant required strict obedience to the Mosaic law, requiring daily sacrifices, heavy, heavy, heavy business to, to atone for sin. But even back then, Moses anticipated the new covenant. It says in Deuteronomy 29, it says, But to this day, the Lord has not yet given you a heart to understand or eyes to hear or ears to hear. Eyes to see or ears to hear, sorry. It's interesting that Moses back then, he, he saw that there was a covenant with God, but people still were blinded. They still couldn't hear God. They had to hear God through Moses. They still couldn't see what God is up to. They had to say to Moses, you go. There was a veil over them, which, is, which was also represented in the temple. There was a veil. They didn't get to pray to, at, with, directly with God. Only once a year could the priest go into the Holy of Holies, pass the veil. And then Paul talks about their hope. He says in verse 12, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. How bold is Paul? Hey, you, don't, you know, Paul's not worried about elephants in the room, was he? He, talk, he calls a spade a spade. I reckon him and Mike Riley were similar, similar personalities. He, some, he calls it how he sees it. He challenges you. He'll speak to you. He, will, he, he would just draw out of you. He'll go, hey, what's going on? Is that a pimple on your face? It's pretty bad. You should do something about that. What's going on with you people? Straighten it out. Come on, let's give glory to God. Come on, let's align ourselves. Let's stop getting caught in the old covenant and let's surrender to the new covenant. Let's stop taking that old sinful thinking. Let's let go of it. If Christ died for us, let's accept the gift and walk free. Let's go to a high enough level. If he is the healer, let's start praying for people. If he is the, if he is the restorer, let's restore some relationships on earth as well as with him. Come on, church. He is the giver of life. This is how Paul talks. You've got a pimple on your face. You need to deal with it. Anyone have a look at the person next to you? Everyone clear? Hey, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy how we, we, we duck and weave and we miss the liberty of the gospel because we're too busy living according to the old covenant and not the new covenant. The new covenant is liberty, it's relationship, it's hope, it's restoration, it's healing, it's power, it's grace, it's mercy every morning. It's all these great things and the old covenant is sacrifice every day. So what do we do? We get up every day and we get caught in the burden of how bad we are and how, what family we came out of and how much money or how little money we got in the bank and all this, la-da-da-da-da. And God's saying, 
Hello? Are you redeemed? Because I remember saying to you once before, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You need to say to yourself, I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. I'm free. I'm walking higher. I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. The guilt and the shame of yesterday no longer has any charge of me. If I give it to, if I give credibility to shame, then I've stepped out of the grace of the cross. If I give credibility to guilt, I, I, I null and void what Jesus went and did for me doesn't mean you're not going to get convicted in your heart about your behavior. But when you get convicted, you can adjust behavior and still walk in confidence because he's, he's dealing with it. As we surrender to him, he deals with it. As we surrender to the power of the cross, he deals with it. And we can cast it away and walk in freedom and walk in hope. Boldness will follow your hope. We're always bold in the direction of our hope. We're bold in the direction of our hope. Where is your hope, church? This is where we need to live. Verse 13, unlike Moses, who had put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel couldn't look steadily at the end of what was passing away, their minds were blinded, it says. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away where? In Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Any area of your life that you haven't surrendered or submitted to Christ, you're blind in that area. If you don't know God as your saviour, you're blinded. Your, your heart and your mind is blinded. Moses, remember Moses says, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. The veil's blocking our eyes and our ears from hope. You notice how when you bring the wisdom of God to someone who doesn't know him, it tends to fall on deaf ears a lot. You know, when you bring, you can bring logical, heavenly wisdom to anybody who doesn't, who's not a part of, of the kingdom of God, and it tends to fall on deaf ears. Unless the Holy Spirit soften their hearts toward him, then his wisdom doesn't gain any traction. It's not until our hearts have turned to him that we begin to see and hear more clearly. Ignorance gets taken away. The blindness of the mind, the hardness of the heart, is, gets all cured in that moment. We see it in communion. This cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember this, church. People cannot see hope directly themselves, but they can see your hope. People can see the hope in you. That's why the Bible says always be ready to explain the hope in you. Always be ready to unpack for someone where the hope is in you. Always be ready to unpack why you're, where the strength comes from. I love John Maxwell. He's, someone's dealing with something tough who's an unbeliever and he says, man, I wish you had my strength. He said to this poor soul who's suffering sickness or, or lack of money, I wish you had my hope. And they go, what? What are you talking about? You know, he's got a hope. That's for, that, that they don't have access to because he's, he's drawn it from the king of all kings. You, there's a hope that you can tap into that is more powerful than any other form of hope. It's more powerful than riches, more powerful than wisdom. It's more powerful than your health. 
It's the hope that Christ has taken it all away. Taken all the, all the shame, all the guilt, all the sickness, all the doubt. He's taken it all away and he's saying, trust in me. And guess what? I'm coming back for you. I came for you. I came to set you free. And then I'm, go- I'm going now to prepare a place for you and I'm coming back. And then we're going to go on. We're going to go and get amongst it in heaven. People cannot see hope for themselves, but they can see your hope. Your anthem is one of hope, not of logic. Some of you are trying to logically unpack the, the hope of Christ. People cannot understand your logic, but they, but they can see your hope. People are interested in your hope, not your logic. Why do you think God gave us you know, Genesis, as, Genesis 1 as the story of creation instead of giving us the scientific version of it? Because he's saying it's not about you logically unpacking creation to get people free. It's about people seeing hope in you, people seeing a relationship that you have that, you, that, that, that helps you walk in freedom. And they go, I don't know what you've got, but I want to participate in that. So you've got one job, church. Walk in his hope. And when we start to walk too deep in logic, nothing wrong with logic, but if logic defines us, not hope, then we are, we are distracted from kingdom thinking. Because people cannot see your logic. They can only see your hope. Get ready to explain it to someone this week. It's time to get off the couch, church. You've got to get off. You've got to get off the couch. When we kick a goal, when Australia wins a gold medal, when someone gets saved, when you've got a story to tell, whatever happens, it's time for us to get off the couch and stand up and sing the anthem of our lives. Where do we sing it? We sing it out of our hope. We sing it out of our responses to life. How do you sing your anthem? Whatever goes on in your life, you respond out of hope. You don't respond out of the logic of the moment. Because if you let a moment define you, you're not anchored to Christ. You're anchored to the moments. God wants you to be defined by his grace, by his truth, by his substance. And the nature, God's nature is earthed through his spirit. Let's read on. The spirit, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's liberty. The Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. God's nature is earthed. Through his spirit, where it is a spirit of wisdom and understanding, there is freedom of ignorance. Where there is a spirit of might, there is freedom from fear and timidity. Where there is a, where there is a spirit of regeneration, relationships are restored. You see, every aspect of God's nature is earthed through his spirit. And it comes in you. Where there, where there is a spirit, where there is, he is comforter, there is freedom from fear, failure, rejection, and death. Where there is a spirit of adoption, there is, there is freedom from isolation and loneliness. Where he is a spirit of mercy, there is freedom of access to God with boldness. He's saying, hey, allow yourself to be bold in your hope. If your hope is in God, be bold in that hope. Apostle Paul says, you know, because of our hope, since we have such hope, we now speak with boldness. They don't speak with boldness because of everything they know. They speak with boldness because their hope is so strong, because their hope is substance. Why don't you stand with me this morning, church? 
And then in 18 it says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. When we look at God's transforming grace and freedom, we're changed. When you look at His liberty, when you look at His grace, when you look at His mercy, when you look at His sacrifice, you cannot not be changed. And as we allow ourselves to change and continue gazing upon him, we get changed even further. And we, what, what tends to happen is we begin being changed by receiving his mercy. And then as, he's, as we get changed more and more, his mercy becomes our mercy. His grace becomes our grace. His power becomes our power. His authority becomes our authority. Why? Because he resides in us and he operates through us and he blesses through us and he gives mercy through us. So you're no longer looking at, 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 at just yourself. You're looking at being a conduit of God's grace on earth, a conduit of his mercy on earth a conduit of his hope on earth. And people will pull you up and say, why do you have such hope? Why are you showing mercy to that person who doesn't deserve it? Why is the God's grace upon you? And then we begin to start breaking some world records. God wants to break some records. How's he going to do it? He's going to break world records because the fruit of his spirit is going to be seen in you like it's never been seen before. You're going to, you're going to step up. You know, when you're at the front, when you're at the Olympic Games, you step it up, don't you? Because you're in this atmosphere. You're in this atmosphere that is, that is bigger than your home training pool. And you tend, to, you tend to swim faster. You tend to run harder. You tend to throw further. You tend to, 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 to jump higher. We do such great things when we're in atmospheres that are alive. When you gaze upon him, when you worship, when you don't just sing the songs that are on the screen, you allow yourself to be transformed by what the words are saying. When you say to, to, to your soul, you say, soul, it's time to bless the Lord. Redeemed, say so. You are redeemed, say so. Come on, we are the redeemed of the Lord and let's continue to say so. Let's continue to it. And then we break world records. We are the most peaceful, patient, faithful, bold, kind happy people with good habits, self-control. We're going to break some records, church. You're not going to be people who are defined by the moments in your life. And we walk through some big moments. And God's saying this morning to you, some of you are in the middle of a tough moment in your life. He's saying, hey, that is not the definer of you. I am your author. I am your finisher. I will define you and I will end you. Do not allow a moment to end you. Do not allow a moment to define you. That is my job. Father, we just thank you this morning. We just thank you, Father, that you have given us a song to sing. You've given us the words to say. You've given us hope in our hearts. You've given us strength in our bodies, Lord. You've given us a burden to carry, Lord. And you've given us a Holy Spirit to lead us and to strengthen us and to guide us. So we give you all the glory and the praise. 
As we, as we sing these anthems of grace and faith and joy, Lord, stir our hearts, Lord. We don't want to be stuck to our couch anymore, Lord. We want to be stirred up in our faith. We want to be full of hope. We want to be giving you glory every day, Lord. And we want to share it with our brothers and sisters. We thank you, Lord, that we are citizens of heaven. We thank you that our hope is eternal and that as we look around, we can see courage in those around us, Lord. Give us the words to speak courage. Give us the words to speak life. Give us the answer to where our hope lies. Glory to you, Lord. And for every person in this house, Lord, I ask for an impartation of courage, an impartation of boldness, Lord, a reminder of hope. The Lord says you are a person of hope. Your hope is in me and my name is above every other name.